1 Corinthians 8, John chapter 5. Well, we're finishing up today the series, God is Love. And this morning will be a little more of a teaching. Uh, Last week we talked about God is Love. Last Sunday night, God loves not just children, but God loves the young. God loves the new believer, the child, those that are forming, those that are becoming something. And then today I want to talk to you about God loves people. What do you think it is, is the, is the foundation of relationships? In other words, what are relationships built on? Let me give you a few ideas that modern societies come up with. Some people think in our society that relationships are built on contract. You heard of the prenuptial agreement? What that basically means is, is that your marriage doesn't have a shot. Contract. I know, I know. This is the way we'll do a relationship. If we can just guarantee by contract that the relationship will work, and if it doesn't work, we can get out, then it'll work. Is anybody confused? Doesn't sound like it'll work to me. Some people think, though, that agreement is the, is the bedrock of a relationship. In other words, if we agree, if you, if you look long enough, I'm sure you'll be able to find something that you agree with everybody on. But just because you have a point of agreement doesn't mean you have a good relationship. Isn't that right? Some people think law. Well, we'll build our relationship on the law. If we follow the same laws, if we just pay our taxes, if we follow the same speed limit. How many of you know there's people that can go too slow that can really make you mad? If we follow even the Ten Commandments, I know people that follow the Ten Commandments that shut their self into compounds with shotguns. I don't have a good relationship with. What about the Bible? I'm going to make an argument today that the Bible itself is not the foundation for relationship. Now, before you throw anything at me, Give me a chance. If you were raised in American Christianity in the last 50 years, you've probably heard so much about what the Bible is that you've never heard what it's not. Let me tell you one of the things the Bible's not. The Bible's not God. In other words, God's more than that can be contained here. This is His Word, but it's not Him. This isn't the totality of God. I'm also going to argue that the Bible's not the relationship, the foundation for relationship. Let me give you some background on Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8 before we go there. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, there arose this debate inside the Corinthian church. And Paul the Apostle addresses this issue. This part of the letter is written in the response of an argument that sprang up. There was a debate whether a Christian ought to eat food that was offered... In a cultic temple to another god. Well, if that, if that animal was sacrificed, at that, it's like not 21st century. You understand that? We don't kill stuff anymore. But back then, they would, they would kill in a pagan temple, sacrifice an animal, and, and one Christian would say, why can't I eat that? Another Christian would say, you can't eat that because that's been sacrificed to a false god. Now, the group that said it didn't matter had two really good arguments. Before I read the passage, listen to them. Their argument was, listen, there's only one God. There's no such thing as other gods. So why does it matter if I eat food that's been sacrificed to a God that doesn't exist? It's a pretty good argument. Here's the other one. What you eat doesn't bring you closer to God since there's no spiritual value to food. 
So what difference does it make if I eat something that's been given to an unreal God? Doesn't matter, does it? Now here's the issue. Paul basically says, you're right. I agree with you on both points. There are no other gods and there is no spiritual value in food itself. The only thing in your rightness, you're wrong. Your doctrine's right, but your attitude's wrong. Then he basically takes these first three verses and tells them why their attitude is wrong. Because they're basing their argument on the wrong thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Where are we at? Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Roll the clock back. I thought that looked odd. I thought, I didn't think we were in Macedonia. Where are we? Can you find, can you find 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians. I guess the better question is, can I find 1 Corinthians? All right. 1 Corinthians 8. Here we go. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I just want you to write in your blank, knowledge versus love. What Paul did is Paul set these two beside each other for comparison's sake. And he almost talked about them as if they were opposites. Maybe they are in some way. Paul says, here's why your attitude's wrong. You think the goal of faith is to get higher knowledge to people who don't have it. In this case, the people who disagree with you. But that's not it. The goal of our faith is not knowledge. The goal of our faith is love. Because love builds up and knowledge puffs up. Now, you may want to write this down. Knowledge causes pride, but love causes strength. Knowledge causes pride, but love causes strength. To these people, being spiritual meant being filled with a certain type of knowledge that they thought would set them free. But to being spiritual to Paul did not mean being filled with knowledge. Being spiritual to Paul meant being filled with love. I've heard enough people in my lifetime pound on pulpits and say how biblically illiterate Americans are. How ignorant of God's word we are. We're more ignorant than any time in American history of God's word. Okay, it's all right to say it because it's true. But could we say it with love? Could you say it with brokenness? Could you say it not with condemnation but with a broken heart. Where, where, where does the anger come from? It doesn't come from God's heart. God's heart's broken over it. So when you say it, let's don't hit so hard. Let's don't talk so fast. Let's say we're in bad shape. And it's sad. And it breaks God's heart. Knowledge-based Christianity says, if you really loved God, you'd know your Bible better. 
Love-based Christianity says, how can I build you up? You don't have to pray more, read more, do more, nothing more. We can start right where you are. How do we start with you? Forget how you got there. Forget what went wrong. Forget what did happen. Forget what didn't happen. How can we start with where you are now and build you up in strength? How can we add to your faith? How can we add to your relationship? What is your Christianity built on? Is it built on knowledge or love? I'll give you a test. Look at the people closest to you. Remember last week I said, how do we know if God's love is in us? Look at that person you're struggling with the most. How much do you love them? Let me give you a different test today. What are your relationships built on? Love or knowledge or something else? Look at those closest to you. Are those closest to you puffed up or built up? Your wife, your children, your friends, those closest to you, are they puffed up or built up? Are they added to or struck down? Are they built up or undermined? What about those closest to you? That's how you know if the basis of your Christian life is on track. Love seeks to empower, it seeks to strengthen, it seeks to add to. The Christian life is not a collection of information. It's not collecting all the right facts. It's not getting all the information inside your mind, but the fact that you've learned to live in love toward everybody. How did, how did Christians live the Christian life before they could read? 500 years ago, most people couldn't read. How did the Christian faith translate from one person to another? It's the Spirit of God that drove His love into a heart that was open to receive it. That's how the Christian faith translated. I'm not against reading. I mean, I'm, it's easier when I can find the verse I'm looking for. I'm not against the Bible. The Bible's tutored my mind. That's how, what gives you the mind of Christ is the Word of God. But I'm saying to you, what's the basis for relationship? The Christian life is not in what I necessarily know or getting the right knowledge or collecting the right facts. The Christian life is lived when I learn to live in love toward everybody. God's love so fills me and shakes me that I can let that love pop out of my life into every direction. Look at John chapter 5. I can tell you don't believe me. John chapter 5, 39 through 42. This is one of the most fascinating verses to me in this regard, John chapter 5, okay, that's the right one, 39 through 42. You diligently, listen, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees now. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus is speaking. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men. Now look at this verse. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You diligently search the scriptures because you think by them you have life. 
But the proof that you don't have life is that you don't have the love of God in your heart. Do you see that? What Jesus has done is helped us to see that the foundation for relationship is not knowledge but love. What Jesus says is the Bible's not what's going to bring you life. The Bible is going to point you to the one who can bring you life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes into the Father except by me. Remember last week I told you why is it people that study the Bible are the meanest? Study the Bible the most? It's not always true, thank God. I like to think I study it some. I hope I'm not mean. But you know what? Just because you get the memory verse down and get your star on your little paper at the end of the day doesn't mean that you got it. There's more to it than just that. The foundation for relationships is not contract or law or knowledge, it's love. The foundation of relationship is is with God because God is love. If it's built on anything else, it won't produce life. Let me ask you a question. Which couple do you think has the greatest chance of staying married? The one who says, I know that divorce is wrong, so I'm going to stay married. Or the one who says, we love each other. Which one? The one who says, we love each other. Oh, we might claw each other's eyes out till Jesus comes. But that's not what we're looking for, is it? The one who says that we are committed to loving each other. The one who believes staying together is right. It's not going to, not always going to make it. Because rules without a relationship is religion. Rules with a relationship is life. So you have guidance. So you have couples all over America who have been grown up teaching the Christian faith that divorce is wrong, divorce is wrong, divorce is wrong. Guess what we have? The divorce rate among Christians is equal to among non-Christians. Knowledge isn't working. You with me? Are you, is it coming? Is it coming through now? Knowledge isn't working. Guess which region of America has the highest divorce rate? I'll give you a guess. The good old B-I-B-L-E belt. The Bible belt. Has the highest divorce rate of any region in America. Because knowledge is not working. This exposes the heart of American Christianity. What's it all about? It's not necessarily about what I know. I have to add to my love what I know. I have to add knowledge. But knowledge in itself is not going to do it. What happens is, is when you lose your first love, you can't do what you know. Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, I do. Woe is me. When you, when you base your relationship on the wrong thing, you don't even have the power to do what you know to do. But when you base it on the right thing, God's love fills your heart. And you can do what you should do. So we don't operate on a basis of love oftentimes, historically, in traditional American Christianity. We op- we've come through such a season of fundamentalism. Of knowing, of knowing, of knowing, of knowing. 
But the thing is, listen to me, we can keep thumping our Bibles all we want. You can keep spouting doctrines and you can keep pounding on pulpits and you can keep saying it louder and louder. But until your heart and my heart become so full of God's love that it overflows into those around us, it won't bring any transformation. It's not what we know. It's what we have. You and I have learned two things, and you might want to write these down, in our... In the last several decades, we've learned two things from two different sources. American Christianity, because we've grown up in a time of educational fundamentalism, has taught us that knowledge is strong. American culture has taught us that love is weak. American Christianity, through education and knowledge and systemized and and dotting it out and dotting it out and dotting it out, has taught us that knowledge is strong, knowledge is strong, knowledge is strong. If you know the right thing, you'll be all right. Well, guess what? The last time I went to the Christian bookstore, we have more books there than we've ever had. The Internet has more resources than we've ever had. We know more than we've ever known, and we're not right. But American culture... Through Hollywood and media and sappy and soppy and soap opera and sloppy and slathery and every other thing has taught us that love is weak. Just start over. Just get someone else. No, you know, people don't stay together anymore. People don't love each other anymore. The brokenness of the family, the brokenness of the home, the dysfunctionality of relationship. We've learned two things that undermine what this book tells us. And that is that love is strong. Love is strong and knowledge has some limitations to it that we haven't dealt with honestly. Now, what is love? If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Love is unconditionally accepting another person regardless of their lifestyle. What that says is, I don't have to agree with or believe everything you do to accept you. No matter what you do, God's never given me a right to reject you as a person. I can reject what you do. I can say, look, I love you, but this isn't right. But what I can't do is reject you. We don't have the scriptural authority to reject a human, to reject a person, to declare a person as wrong. You're wrong. You should have never been born. You should have never been created. You're wrong. We don't have have the authority to condemn someone like that. But, un- but unconditional means there's no condition upon which a person can't be accepted. So, so what do we do? We don't tell people the truth. We just love them. We just let people do whatever they want. I don't know if you've noticed. They like already are. <laughs> They're doing whatever they cotton picking want to do. So what I'm suggesting is, is that we resign as comptroller of the universe... And give people what people need. What people need is the essence of God. And what is God? God is love. That's how people know. Love's not some anemic, codependent need for acceptance of another person. That's not love. That's dysfunction. Love won't let you sidestep. Love won't let you avoid. Love won't let you sweep it under the rug. Love won't let you do that. That's not love. That's what Hollywood told us love is. But that's not what real love is. Love constrains us, Paul said. But loveless truth is dead religion. 
We spent decades in America working on our doctrines. If you were to sit behind closed doors of most of our denominations and listen them debate over our doctrines, you would throw up. Sorry. It's been a long week. But we've sat and worked on those doctrines and scribbled them and whited them out and undoed them and redo them on our computer and our Microsoft Word so long that we finally, it, it took 100 or 200 or 300 or 1600 or 1800 or 1900 years, but we finally got it. Our doctrines are finally right. The problem is they're dead right. There's no life in them. If you were to read the doctrinal statements of most denominations, you would say, this is good. I mean, just read, read it. Look it up on the internet. You, if you look at the doctrinal statements, the scriptural support, the thinking, the background, all everything that's come through these centuries of learning and understanding, you would say, this is absolutely incredible. The problem is, there's no life in it. Love is unconditionally accepting every person, even if you have to reject their lifestyle. I talked to a man recently who has a son, an adult son, who has chosen to find himself in a um, occultic religion. And he tried to, as he told me the story, talk to his son and reason with him. And, and there's just no, there's no way through. So what he did is he went to his son. Now listen, and he said this. He said, son, I, I'm going to choose. I don't know how else to say it. Maybe this isn't the right thing to say. But I'm going to choose you over religion. You and I are never going to agree about this stuff. We're not agreeing about it. You're not agreeing with it. You're not giving in. I'm not going to give in. But you know what? I love you and I'm always going to be your dad. You're always going to be my son no matter what happens. And I'm always going to love you. And he chose to keep the relationship and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to open the right door rather than trying to push it. And can I tell you, that man has a greater chance of touching his son's life over the long run than the one that says, you're out. You're out. Unconditional love. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you. Doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, all, all get along in those things. But love is what held Jesus on the cross. I sat a while ago and wrote down what I thought John 3.16 might sound like to me. John 3.16 to me sounds something like this. When the world was in chaos, dysfunctional, wounded, lost, God knew the only path of redemption came through the ultimate sacrifice of love. So Jesus came not to clarify doctrine, not to teach a Sunday school class, but to do two things. To reveal God's love and life by serving and to reveal God's love through death by sacrificing. I don't know whether that's right or not, but it sounded good to me. The only people Jesus was really mad at were the people who knew the Bible but had no love. Micah, would you come? Several years ago, I was at a funeral 
A 16-year-old had died in a car accident. It was tragic and terrible, and I was just there as a friend. And um, another uh, church family had gathered. There were hundreds of teenagers there at the graveside. And, and I can remember thinking, wow, this is, boy, this is really hard. I've only done one funeral like that before. I don't ever want to do another one. But I realized that this was such a powerful moment, such a painful moment for so many people. A bunch of the high school kids had gathered around. It just it looked like a little tent from the sky with people scattered all around it. And the minister, as he went near the casket, he opened the Bible and he began to read. And as I sat there and listened, I became heartbroken. He opened the Bible and read six verses. He turned to another chapter and read eight verses. He turned to another place and read six or eight verses. He turned to another place and read about six verses. He turned to another place and read five or six verses. Just like, just like, just like this. And the Lord himself shall, it's like a machine gun, like he jumped on a turret and was just mowing everybody down. And then he said, let's pray. I sat there and my heart broke and I said, my Lord, is that what we have? Is that it? Is that all we got right there? That's it? I mean, that's all we have? This couple brought a little baby home from the hospital nursery and fed that child and clothed it and poured their life into it and that child's come to 16 years old and has tragically been taken off the earth and that's all we have? I thought, my Lord, look the people in the eye. Tell them you love them. Tell them God loves them. Tell them you care. Tell them somebody knows. That's all you've got? Is to machine gun people down? Gosh, I remember walking home thinking, God, I don't know what you're going to have to do with me, but do whatever you have to do with me to make me what you want me to be. We have to offer life, not death. I'm telling you, I don't mean any reference toward the scripture at all, but I'm just saying to you, you just can't treat people like that. You have to, God is love. And somewhere people have to encounter that. They have to feel it. They have to know it. I hear people all the time say something like this. Maybe they don't say it this way. But they say, I, I could never minister to anyone. I mean, I don't, I don't have any gifts. And, and I, this is for another day, but I just want you to know, Satan has unbelievably handicapped the church through something we call inadequacy. Because we got this mysterious thing, nobody actually knows how you ever become validated to be a minister or anything. We just know you're not one, because you're just a layperson. And it's a lie. I want to equip you this morning. Are you ready? You're about to go to minister school. I want to ask you two questions. Number one, can you show someone that you care? Anybody find that too hard? Don't raise your spouse's hand. Anybody find that too hard? Can you show someone that you care? All right. Number two. Can you share with someone the things 
that have helped you grow in God. Congratulations. You're a minister of the gospel.